Time Theology. I'm your host, Taylor Wilkie, and my guest today is the rector of Grace Episcopal Church in downtown Providence, Reverend Canon Jonathan Hike. He is here today to talk about season four, episode three of The Simpsons, Homer the Heretic. Welcome, Jonathan. Thank you. It's great to be here. Cool. Um, so according to our my co-producer, Mo. Um, at one time, you were actually a comedy writer in L.A. Can you confirm this? Is this true? I can confirm this. I can, I can confirm that I was a, an aspiring and struggling and, and mo- moderately successful comedy writer in L.A. Um, yes, I can confirm all those things. <laughs> nice. I'm uh, actually, fun fact about me, I'm actually a uh, pre-pandemic. I was an aspiring stand-up comedian, uh, okay. and I suppose I still am. And uh, I think I am too. one of the things that I found, especially when you're writing comedy, is that like, even if no one laughs at a joke that you've written, it's, it always holds a special place in your heart. Are there any jokes that you're particularly proud of that you wrote in your career as a writer in, in uh, L.A.? Well, I actually, when you were speaking just now, what came to mind was actually not something I'd written that I thought was particularly funny or clever in... Um, in my time as a comedy writer, but uh, early on as a priest, in my time as a priest, might have been my first Christmas as a priest, actually. My brother was visiting, and my brother is himself a comedy writer and a very successful one. He's got Emmy Awards and that sort of thing, so he's he's uh, the shining comedic star of the family. <laughs> um, but uh, he he was, I'd written a, a sermon for Fourth Sunday in Advent in the that, that was a little different than my usual sermons. It was in the guise of a journal entries from St. Joseph. And uh, I had this line in there where I said, this is after the birth of, of, of Jesus, where Joseph says in his journal, we, there were shepherds there. And I told them to leave their sheep outside, but nobody listens. And as soon as, as, soon as I said that, I could hear my brother laughing from the congregation. I always think that if I can make my brother laugh, then I've accomplished something. That's very so, true. If you can, so. if you can make a comedian laugh, it's uh, it's a very that's a very high honor. Very gratifying. Yeah. <laughs> I speak from experience. Comedians don't laugh at very much uh, when we're talking about comedy. Yes, it's true. It, in fact, I've, I've heard that a com- that a comedic uh, writer's room is probably one of the most serious places you'll ever be. Um, yeah. <clears throat> but anyway. I never, I never, Never actually made it into a writing room myself, so I'll have to uh, take your word for it. No, that's it. Okay, um, but we're but listen, I could talk comedy and stand up and and all that all day. But uh, we're here today to talk about the episode of Homer the Heretic yes, um, from The Simpsons. Favorite. Full disclosure, um, I wrote the outline for this episode on a Sunday when I should have been in church. 
You have my you have you have my uh, my forgiveness, my friend. Thank you, thank you. For those who don't know, plot of this episode is Homer stays home from church, uh, and as a result, comes to the conclusion that going to church is not necessary. And then, as most Simpsons episodes, antics ensue. Before we get into anything, let, let, I want to get your opinion on because uh, I'm guessing you're you're a Simpsons fan since you picked this episode. Yes, I am. Yes. And um, uh, so what, what is your opinion of uh, Reverend Lovejoy as a spiritual leader? Is he a good one? Is he a bad one? And uh, do you have any uh, Ned Flanders in your life? Ned Flanders is in my life. Yes. Um, oh, that's a great question. I mean, uh, in terms of, I'll answer the first party question first, the Reverend Lovejoy. Um, you know, I, he's, he's by no means a perfect, uh, minister. Um, certainly he's, he, he's, his sermons wouldn't win any awards. They're, they're, they're not particularly good and they're not my style of, of sermons. They're very bombastic. And you get the sense quite often that they're very, very long. And my goal in preaching is, is what I always say is my goal is, um, Presbyterian in quality, Catholic in length. Um, so good, but brief, but, um, Reverend Lovejoy is, is neither of those things, but he's, he's, he's world weary. I, I'm sympathetic to him. He's, he's a bit burned out. I'm not, I'm not a burned out priest myself, but you know, there are days when I can sympathize with that and we all can, I think, mm. but he is very faithful to his congregation. He's obviously doing something right because as you can see, whenever you see the church, the, the first church of Springfield and the Simpsons, the pews are always full. Um, and so he's doing something right. And I think he generally cares for his congregation and he's generally, he's genuinely faithful to God. Um, so I, I kind of find myself sort of liking the guy and this, I don't want to get ahead of myself here because we may be talking about this later in in this podcast, but the way he speaks to Homer's situation at the end of this episode is just wonderful. Mm. Um, and so, you know, he's, he's really, that's, it's a, a little one or two sentence sermon right there that he just, just is perfect for the, for the situation. Great. I've, I've always liked Reverend, Reverend Lovejoy personally, um, <clears throat> especially his wife, um, whose name yeah, escapes yeah. me at the time. Just think of the children, you know? <laughs> yes. Um, please think of the children. Yeah. I can completely relate with Homer at the beginning of this episode where he's dreaming of being in the womb and then being ripped out violently and being woken up rudely to say, hey, you need to get up and go do something that you'd rather not be doing um, when you would rather stay home in bed. When eventually the family does get to church, the sermon that day is about the lamentations of Jeremiah. And I couldn't help but... I, I'm not a very avid Bible reader, um, and I'm not sure what the, what, what the lamentations of Jeremiah are, but I'm guessing the the writing staff of the Simpsons, they're a pretty smart group, and they wouldn't usually specifically call something out like that unless it had something specific to do with the episode. So could you give us a little run, maybe a summary of what the Lamentations of Jeremiah are uh, to give the audience a little bit of a better idea of maybe why that could have been a joke or why it's a good allegory for the episode? I think it's, as Bart says in another episode, that's funny for so many reasons. Um he actually, he says, he's going to read from the Lamentations of Jeremiah, long version. Uh, and that's, that. I love that long version. There, there is no long version of, of 
the Lamentations. There is a, a Gospel of Mark. There's a long version, a short, a short ending, and a long ending. But what he wants to, um, what this writer is trying to convey is that this is going to go on for a long time. It'd be really boring. Um, but the Lamentations are written, people theorize, by the prophet Jeremiah because of where it's placed in the Bible uh, mm. primarily. But uh, but they're they're very they're very sad. So the Lamentations of Jeremiah is um, is uh, is just what it says. It's 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 very sad poetry about the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem in the year 586 by the Babylonians. So it's very very um, heavy heavy stuff. Um, and they're trying to convey the writers are trying to convey to the audience that this is not something that's going to cheer up anyone in this church. It, that's you know he tends to have a tin ear for this kind of stuff. Reverend Lovejoy does, and so it's people are freezing because the church is unheated and it's a blizzard outside, and he's going to keep them sitting there for a long time by reading them not not just the Lamentations of Jeremiah, but the long version of the Lamentations of Jeremiah. Now mm. why he does this is anyone's guess, but he's he's clearly not tuned into his congregation at that point. So um, just to keep stepping through the episode, so Lamentations of Jeremiah, uh, you get a great joke about how he's describing hell and everyone in the church is like hugging themselves because they can feel themselves in hell and that's where they would rather be than in church that day. Yes. Um, but then the event, everyone eventually gets home and then uh, Homer brings up what I think is, is a couple of uh, really good points about going to church and the necessity of that. And, and let's just step through those one at a time. The first thing he says, and so pretty much what I'm going to ask you right now is to refute what Homer says in the episode. First thing he says is, if God is everywhere, why do we actually need to go to church? As a, as a, a former Roman Catholic, it was very drilled into me that the reason we go to church is that's where, that's where Jesus lives, and that's where you go to pray, but then obviously contradicted to say, God is everywhere. So why do we actually have to go to a building to worship God? Why why can't we just do it from the comfort of our own couch or our bed in Homer's case? Yeah, but it is, it is a great question, and a lot of people have wondered that. I had a priest once when I was in divinity school in Chicago who said that he's found that um, most people who say they find God everywhere end up finding God nowhere. Whether or not that's true, I don't know. Mm -hmm. But I think there, there are sort of two reasons why people primarily go to church and and for some, it's more one than the other, um, and some, it's, it's both equally. But one is because you find God to be particularly present in church in a way that you do not experience him in other places, like in your on the golf course or in your in your, your living room, that sort mm -hmm. of thing. But um, uh, also, it's where other people, other your fellow Christians are. I've heard also someone say that people complain about organized religion, but then they, and the answer is, well, disorganized religion never helped anyone. Um, I think that's and, fair. Uh, my first church was in France, and in France, pretty much every town and village has a Catholic church, and those Catholic churches are always open, or, or usually open. Some towns and villages have Protestant churches, and those, those churches are always closed and locked. And I remember asking a Protestant, a French Protestant friend, why that was the case. And he said, because if it's not Sunday morning, it's just a building. Mm. Uh, and what makes it a sacred space is when the community of the faithful is gathered there. So there's something, I've also heard it said that there's um, no such thing as a solitary Christian. 
and even the monks of the early church in the Egyptian desert, the hermits who lived out in these caves in the Egyptian desert, would gather with their fellow monks from time to time, even if only once a year, to, to pray or celebrate the Eucharist. Um, and community is, is really central, not just to um, Christianity and every form of Christianity, but to pretty much every religion that I know of mm. in this world, that there's something special, something sacred, something important about gathering together uh, with the faithful that you, because you certainly, you can pray, you can read the Bible, you can do good works on your own, but there's something really central to what it means to be a human and to be a human of faith makes us seek out our fellow, our fellow faithful Christians in this case, and, and to, to worship together. So I think it's, and what we, what we see in the episode is that after Homer makes that statement, it's not like he's taking to doing good works on his own, or he's not reading the Bible on his own. He's not mm. praying on his own by and large. He's, he's reading magazines and smoking cigars and watching television. The second thing he asks is, uh, why would an omnipresent or omnipotent God care where I go on a Sunday? And I only ask that question because, um, the way I would, when I was raised up coming in the church, like I said, I wasn't brought up in the Episcopal faith. Going to church every Sunday wasn't like an option. It was a requirement to stay in good standing with God. Um, but, you know, why does God care that we actually go to church? Well, it, it brings up Or does question. he care in the Episcopal faith? Right. Well, to be an Episcopalian in good standing, you have to, have to receive communion. I think that the, the, the word that's used is regular, regularly. So mm. you are ought to be um, regular at at the Holy Eucharist in your attendance. It, it's not. I don't think I've ever heard a, a commandment coming down from headquarters that says it must be every Sunday. Although that's certainly the the, the common practice and has been since time since time began or since the church began. Anyway, it does bring up an interesting question: Is are we going to church? because God wants us to, and if so, why does God want us to? Does he want us to? I, I, can't, I can't imagine it's because God is keeping track of how many times we've gone to church in a given month. Uh, but it's good for us. Mm. Uh, it's good for us to stay, stay close to God and close to each other, so we should we should go to church. Another episode where Homer says, talks about God being insecure. Well, I think that's, that's meant to be a joke. God's not insecure, and he doesn't need our worship to feel good about himself but it's because it's good for us to go to the church that, that god wants to do to do so yeah i definitely feel better um when i go to churches it doesn't happen often but when it does when when when, when the the sermon is, spe- is specifically powerful i am very glad that i went uh, especially yeah. when i'm having difficulty in my personal life i always find going to church on a sunday somehow I'm not sure if it's a priest at my church or if it's just luck or whatever, but it feels as though whenever I'm having a hard time in my life, the sermon at the after the gospel always really hits home for me and gives me that, like, push to keep going. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I know you're a priest, and you do have an excellent priest, so that may be a part of it. Mm, and, and, and that is uh, Reverend Tim Rich at uh, St. Luke's East Greenwich. Um, in, in case anybody was asking, <laughs> in case anybody was wondering. Now, okay, so now this is the big one. This is the third okay. question that Homer asks in that opening, in that in that kitchen scene. 
what if we picked the wrong religion? This was a big thing for me uh, when I was in middle school. Uh, mm-hmm. Because in middle school, uh, in public, in, in, in a public middle school, uh, that's when they when, that's when public schools start introducing you to the ancient world in history class, and part of that is introducing you to the religions of the ancient world. Yeah. And one of the big when I started, and especially their uh, especially their creation stories. Now mm-hmm. from birth till sixth grade. I knew God created Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden and they got kicked out because they ate the apple and yada, yada, yada. Yeah. All of a sudden, my entire faith system gets rocked because I find out that there are all these other creation stories from all these other religions that existed way before Roman Catholicism or Catholicism in general. If so many people believe so many different things, how can we be sure what we believe is right, or does it even matter if we're right? Yeah, and I think the the, the, the question that Homer poses is, if we pick the wrong, the wrong religion, aren't we just making God matter and matter every week? So this is this is a, a really great question, a great issue that... that thinkers and theologians and Christians in general, and people of other faiths, I'm sure, too, have thought about for a long time. But Christianity has a particular, um, historically, has had a particular uh, emphasis on on its uniqueness in terms of its its, its, its um, path to salvation. Uh, the Pope has, I think, quite recently said that there is uh, truth and spiritual wisdom in other religions besides Christianity, mm. um, and uh, but it, it is there, there's a theologian I like to read in college named John Hick, uh, who talked about this this question of exclusivity claims of Christianity, um, and how those are harder to uphold in such a pluralistic world uh, that we now have experiences in a way we didn't even a hundred years ago to people of other faiths, people that we can see are committed to their faith, people who are uh, uplifted by their faith and, and do good works in the world because of their faith. Um, so I, 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 I think that what Omer suggests is, is not true. If a prisoner comes to me and says, Jonathan, I, I want to become Greek Orthodox, uh, I, would, I would say, well, you know, let's talk about that a little bit. But I, I would certainly never say um, that's making a, you're making a huge mistake. That form of Christianity, uh, if if you join that church, you're just going to make God matter and matter every week. Mm-hmm. I think God would rather have that person in a Greek Orthodox church, who for whom that tradition speaks to him, he can live his true authentic self in that in that faith, can be inspired by the traditions and practices of that faith to do good works in the world. Um, so I, I think Homer's off on that one. I don't think it's, it sounds like a safer ploy to say, I'm just, I'm going to hedge my bets and not pick anything, but I don't think that that is making God happy in any particular way. I don't think that it's making God particularly happy just to say, I'm, I'm, I'm going to, you know, we can't know. And of course, you know, you're exactly right. And Homer is right. I mean, there are other, other traditions that are, are 
you know, upheld by their followers and are, are they have their own very uh, thoughtful theologians. And even in the episode itself, and you may get to this, there are um, faithful people of other religions who end up saving Homer in this episode. Mm. Um, and and, uh, and that, this is where Reverend Lovejoy has that great line where he says, uh, that God was working in their hearts when they, when they saved you from the fire. Uh, that he inadvertently sets in his own home. Mm. Um, so, so even Reverend Lovejoy, who's no ecumenist, I don't think, uh, says that God is at work in the hearts of these people who were, were not Christians. I definitely found that where I wasn't jiving with the particular flavor of Christianity I was I was baptized in, and now that I've kind of come around to the, not come around, I, I found the Episcopal Church, I feel a, a bit more fulfilled spiritually yeah. and faithfully than I ever have in my entire life. And it's been, it's been absolutely wonderful. Um, yeah. And, um, let's, uh, y- you mentioned, um, the, uh, the attempts to, uh, well, the, the ending where the people of many faiths come to save, to literally save Homer from, um, the fire, um, yeah. which is a whole other symbolism we're not even going to get into that. I think it's very apparent what that was all about. Um, but um, there were attempts by people in Homer's life to save his soul. Uh, at one point, Marge uh, in, invites Reverend Lovejoy over for dinner. And right as Reverend Lovejoy is abs- right about to take a f- his first bite of food, she asks him for help saving Homer's soul. Um, and in typical Reverend Lovejoy fashion, he immediately has has a reference in the Bible, and he asks Homer to be mindful of Matthew uh, seven twenty six. Uh, like I said up at the top, I'm not an avid Bible reader, but um, so could you tell us what Matthew seven twenty six is? Well, this is uh, Jesus saying that the foolish man built his house on sand, mm. and so what Reverend Lovejoy is implying is that by going this route. Uh, Homer is, is is building a future that is is not well grounded and is going to crumble or sink or he will uh, he will not thrive if he follows the path he's currently mm. on. Now, also, this moment made me think that you know I'm going to be talking to a reverend and maybe he has particular um, experience where he was asked to go somewhere and then when he gets there it turns out to be more work related than he initially believed. Do you have any? Um, any interesting stories about maybe when that might have happened to you in your life as a priest? Well, I think, I guess I was not quite a priest when this happened. I think I was a deacon. <clears throat> when I was interviewing for, for my first job in the church, I was invited over to uh, a lunch given by a parishioner. And it looked like, and my fiance at the time, now my wife, was, was with me. And, uh, and it was very sort of like a, a, a social lunch. That was the vibe, you know, it was mm. 10, 12 people around a big table and people were talking and eating appetizers and that sort of thing. And then we sat down to, to eat and then they started, and then it turned into an interview and they started asking me theological questions. And my fiance <laughs> said, oh boy, I'm glad he's in the hot seat, not me. <laughs> so that was, uh, that, that. I think I was a little more expecting that than she was um, because it just looked as if from the outside that it was a sociable lunch that was being held, you know, to sort of 
welcome us. Uh, mm. But no, it was, it was definitely an interview. So I was, I was fielding all sorts of questions, which, mm. which um, I didn't mind doing. I mean, when you're interviewing for a job, you kind of expect that sort of thing. But, uh, but my poor, my poor fiance was uh, taken aback by it and, mm. and just, as I say, just said that uh, afterwards he said, I'm glad that was you and not me. <laughs> and I guess the important question is, did you get the job? I did get the job. Fantastic. I think one of the best jokes in this episode is, is, uh, is Flanders trying to save Homer's soul. Uh, especially with the with the song about Noah, uh, yes. it's, pro- it's probably one of my favorite little things that Home Ned ever does. Now, um, at I love one point, the car chase too. Yes, so like so, um, so Flanders almost runs his family into a train and then into Springfield Harbor, trying to bring Homer back to the church. Yeah, uh, obviously hilarious. And a gross over exaggeration uh, of of what people should do to bring someone who may has who may have lapsed in their in their faith to bring them back to the church. But let's say we do have folks listening that have loved ones who have lapsed in their in their faith. How would you suggest that they go about maybe trying to nudge uh, their loved ones more gently back to the church and not necessarily as aggressively? as the Flanders clan. Yeah. I, I want to, after, after that, that the great, great car chase with that sort of 70s era soundtrack going on, which I love, what would, what was he going to do if he actually caught Homer? That was not clear to me. <laughs> chasing him down. This is an experience that so many, so many Christians of, of any stripe have gone through is, is you're, 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 you know, you're a church going, say Episcopalian and you're, your grown daughter or son no longer goes to church or your spouse stops going to church or what have you. I, I think sort of there are two things you can do and they're not mutually exclusive. One is to talk to them about it to see why it is they've stopped going to church because there may be, there may be a, an answer to that issue. You know, they may say, I really hate those sermons or, you know, maybe I, I really, um, uh, I don't like the fact that there's no one in our generation in this church. So it may be something that's fixable either at that church or another church. Uh, and then this, the second approach could be, and there's this, this quote um, from uh, St. Francis of Assisi where he says, preach the gospel at all times and if necessary, use words. Um, and so trying to talk someone back into coming to church into coming back to church is probably not going to be as effective as continuing to be an active churchgoer yourself and to be clearly blessed by the experience i don't think there's any there's no you know if there were a sure answer to how to coax people back to their faith lives you know everyone would be doing just that but i think it's those two approaches having a genuine conversation with the person uh, and and continuing to live your life as a as an active church going Christian. I mean, I have like, now that I've been having these conversations with with clergy, I've noticed that there's definitely moments in my life that God has been working through me that I didn't even realize. And it's only when I really talk to clergy and they and you bring up things like you know just have honest conversations about about faith with people. One one night I was at a bar in Providence. And uh, there was a woman's group getting together, and 
one of the women came over and we started talking and it turns out it was an LGBT group of women getting together and and one of the women mentioned like you know I don't I really don't go to church anymore I really don't like it like she said she was raised in another in another uh, flavor of Catholicism and I and I perked up and I said you know you should try you should give uh, the Episcopal the Episcopal faith a try they they're they're a lot more uh, loose with uh, who they let in than the Roman Catholics are and it's and it's the same that's mass. That's on our sign out front of the church. Yeah. And it, yeah you know, we're a lot more loose. Yeah, and I said, you know, it, it, it's a lot looser. Um, it's the same mass and, you know, less kneeling. So yes, um, it's a win. And, 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 and cushions on the seats. Who can complain about cushions on the seats? Not right? I, that about wraps it up for us. Um, do you have any final thoughts on this, uh, on this episode? Any, like, messages or morals that maybe we didn't uh, touch on uh, in, our, um, in our discussion here? One of the things that surprises me, or doesn't surprise me anymore, but it did when I started watching The Simpsons uh, in my 20s, was how much religion there is in the show. Uh, I think it's been estimated, or someone sort of roughly crunched the numbers, and, and something like a third of every episode deals with religion in some way, which is just so un, almost utterly unheard of in situation comedies uh, in the modern era, It just or in any era, frankly. Mm. Um, and I, <clears throat> I mostly watched in my twenties. So, and that was, um, I, I really know probably every episode in the first decade of the show and, and many fewer since then. So this may have changed, but, but, uh, at least in that first decade, they dealt with, with issues of, of religion, faith and prayer and salvation and all these sorts of things, uh, so often and so genuinely with with rare exception were very respectful um and would would poke poke uh, poke um at the uh at the places where religion deserved to be poked at you know if there's hypocrisy he would you know the simpsons would would lift that up um uh so it wasn't it wasn't a propaganda piece for religious faith at all mm-hmm. uh but you could very easily watch them as a religious person and feel respected and understood um and which is just so which just continues to be so wonderful to watch those shows and to you know as, as a as a priest uh these are questions that i've thought a lot about over the days uh, over my years and it's great to see these great comedy writers not only are they thinking about these things too but they're sharing those thoughts those questions with with the country at large, with the world at large, because I think Simpsons is an international uh, uh, phenomenon. Um, and this is really, I mean, there are other great, there's there's a great episode where Homer becomes a missionary in the South Seas. That's, that's oh, classic. Um, there's Lisa versus the, uh, or Homer versus the Eighth Commandment, where Lisa convinces, the, it's all talk about thou shalt not steal. Um, they're just, there are a bunch of them. This one is, is such a tight episode. It's it's so well written by George Meyer, who's one of the great writers of The Simpsons since the get-go. Um, and the message it's it's really a, a very much a pro-family uh, uh, show, and that that you know they, they they don't have a perfect marriage, Homer and Marge, by any means, but they gosh they love each other and they they always come back together and they um, they uh, they're just uh, it's it's a it's a really I hate to use this word because it's it's so misused, but it's kind of a family value show in a way. Mm. Um, 
uh, in the best sense of the word, I think they really love each other and they're imperfect and uh, they get in trouble and uh, but they're always there for each other. Uh, and that uh, that ending is 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 great. Where to this particular episode where Homer uh, falls asleep smoking a cigar and his and his house goes up in flames, and he's saved by um, uh, a, a a evangelical Christian, his neighbor Ned Flanders. Uh, a Jewish clown named Krusty, uh, and the and Abu Nahaskim the uh, the Hindu store owner and the, or volunteer fireman in the town, mm. and they all, uh, out of out of either the goodness of their hearts or their inspiration from their faith or both, save Homer and, and put out the fire in his house. And and this is where Reverend Lovejoy says, God didn't cause this fire, Homer, but God was working in the hearts of your friends and neighbors when they helped save you. Um, and uh, what a what a wonderful way to end the episode, I thought. Mm, absolutely. Well, Jonathan, let's say one of our listeners gets inspired. They want to come see you on a Sunday morning. Where should they go? The church. Which church? <laughs> yes. Grace Episcopal Church, 300 Westminster Street in downtown Providence, corner of Matthewson Street. Um, it's uh, You kind of can't miss it. It's a big neo-gothic church mm. um and it's a wonderful place and we have people from near and far coming to our church it's it's we do have some people live in the neighborhood it's you know historically not a residential neighborhood so it's not really a neighborhood church per se but we have some people now that more people are living downtown we do have more people walking to church which is fantastic but most of our parishioners don't live in providence uh, about 60 percent live outside the city uh and come to us from as far away as cape cod so oh wow it's uh it's it's a church. It's, it's a unique place. It, the Bishop of California said it's one of the most diverse parishes in the Episcopal Church, and we love that about the, the parish. Uh, it's very welcoming. Um, the, the building is beautiful. The music is great. The preaching is okay. Um, <laughs> it's uh, but we have a new priest now, so the preacher preacher's getting better now that we have a second priest on staff. Um, but uh, it's a wonderful place. So come on down. We're a friendly bunch and. Uh, I'm, I'm, I hope you do. Anyone listening, looking for a church, come to Grace. Now, let's say uh, someone comes down on a Sunday and they're having a heck of a time trying to find, trying to find a parking spot. How would they get in touch with you? Now we're, now we're getting to the real heart of the matter, parking in downtown Providence. <laughs> uh, so we have a small lot behind our church. And on Sunday morning, we rent two lots on Westminster Street, uh, the corner of Westminster and Snow. On either side of Westminster Street, you can park on Sunday morning at the intersection of Westminster and Snow Streets. Okay. Um, and so actually parking is is not a problem. If you try to come, uh, you know, on a, on a Thursday afternoon, that may be a different matter because we only have a few spaces in the church. But you come Sunday morning, no problem with parking. Nice. And uh, do you have any social medias you want to plug uh, right now on the on on the show? or? We have a Facebook page. I'm not a Facebook guy myself, but we have an active Facebook page that, um, folks, the church keep up very well. And so you can go to our Facebook page. We live stream our worship services on YouTube. Uh, we have a YouTube channel and on Facebook. So, uh, you know, if you, if you want to check us out online first, so to speak, you're more than welcome to do that. And that's, we're going to, we started that streaming in the pandemic and we're going to keep doing it, uh, post pandemic. And, um, and that's, that's a wonderful thing to do. Mm. Uh, for for folks who can't get to church for whatever reason. Nice. Um, well, Jonathan, it was great having you 
here. It was great talking about The Simpsons. One of my top five favorite shows ever. Like I said, what thanks. are the others? Sorry? Oh, the others? Uh, Futurama. Yeah. Uh, definitely. Quantum Leap Star Tre- and Star Trek. Uh, nice. Yes. And they're all episodes that we're doing this season. Uh, I'm doing an episode from each of those shows this season um, because this is my season to pick, and I pick those episodes. And which, uh, which Star Trek? Which generation? Um, I'm a big fan of, uh, I guess, I guess Deep Space Nine would have to be my favorite. Okay. Yeah, because it's, it's a little bit more story driven than, uh, than the rest of the shows. Everything seems to be a little bit more episodic, Monster of the Week. Yes. And, um, Deep Space Nine really has like that through line with the Bajorans, the, the Bajoran religion and the emissary and how the captain or or the commander of the space station deals with that responsibility of being essentially a messiah of a religion and still being a member of Starfleet who doesn't really subscribe to any kind of faith-based organizations or systems. You know, you know, uh, science fiction show I loved because it had a lot of religion in it was the new, the new iteration of Battlestar Galactica. Oh, I need to get into it. Oh my gosh, you're gonna love it. Oh, okay, I can't wait. But we have to sign off because I can okay. literally talk about this for another four hours. Okay, <laughs> okay, goodbye everybody. Thanks for listening, uh, and like again, thanks again for being here, Jonathan. Thanks for having me, Taylor. It was a great time. Great. Tis the gift to be simple, tis the gift to be free, tis the gift to come down where we ought to be. And when we find ourselves in the place just right, we'll be in the valley of love and delight. Simplicity is gained To bow and to bend We shan't be ashamed To turn, turn Will be our delight Till by turning, turning We come round right Thank you for listening to Tea Time Theology, a ministry of St. John's Cathedral in Rhode Island. We would like to thank our producers, Mo Akande, Ivy Swinsky, and Taylor Wilkie. Special thanks to Moa Conde and David Hines for the Season 3 music, and our sponsors, the Episcopal Diocese of Rhode Island and the Right Reverend Nicholas Nisley. Follow us at Tea Time Theology on all social medias.